When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome along to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm today's host George Smith and I'm pleased to say that I'm joined this Monday lunchtime by Rich Faye and Tyro Marshall. Rich, first of all, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you very much George. Um, maybe, I was going to say, not much to report since the last podcast, but we, we found some stuff to talk about, haven't we? We have, we've got some interesting uh, analysis and comments lined up and Ty, how are things at your end? Yeah, good. Good. Thank you, George. Rich giving the podcast a hard sell there, convincing the, uh, <laughs> the the listeners to stay with us. Yeah, we haven't got much to talk about. You never know, there could be 45 minutes of uh, unbelievable insights on the way. I mean, there, there won't be, but do stick around just in case. There could be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Well, myself, Rich and Samuel recorded the last episode on Friday, and at that point we were able to discuss the fact that United had finally agreed a fee with Chelsea to sign Mason Mount for £60 million. Uh, that deal has now taken another step closer towards being wrapped up. Uh, Mount arriving at Carrington on Monday morning to start his medical. Rich, it's now all being well, seemingly a matter of time before that deal is finalised and Mason Mount is a United player. Yeah, I mean, I think you can effectively say... He is already barring any late late hiccups. The personal terms were agreed what, almost a month a month or so before the actual fee was agreed between the two clubs. United feel they've got a deal that that reflects decent value for for the player that he is. Okay, it is a little on the steep side, but United are happy to play that for you know a player who who fits into Ten Hag's moulds, a player that he targeted, and you know it gets the ball rolling in terms of the summer business. Now we've we've said for weeks that there's so much mitigation, so many variables regarding United's budget, you at least now know that £55 million of it is gone and then you can work with what's left. Yes, you need to sell some players. Yes, there's a takeover, but it's at least giving us a bit of a clearer picture as to what to do next. Of course, it's easy to say United then go get a striker, get a goalkeeper. It's much easier said than done. But I think having Mount arriving will be will be a boost and for United as well because you know it's only, what, a week now? until they play their first preseason game against Leeds and Oslo. Mason Mount, you know, potentially could be involved with that, depending on when he actually is expected to train, depending on the type of team United field in that game anyway. But certainly Mason Mount during preseason will be will be a player for, for fans to watch. Expect that he'll he'll do a, a sit down and you know there'll be lots of attention around him. And yeah, I think for United it's just crucial as well that they have got a player lined up because I know it's tedious to to mention your rivals, but City have signed players, Arsenal have signed players, you know, Chelsea, Liverpool have signed two good midfielders as well. So it was crucial that United weren't seen to be left behind. Of course, Newcastle have announced Sandra Tonoli today as well. So United are always going to say that they're doing things at their own pace, but you can't ignore the fact that what your rivals do does sort of have a slight influence because your fans will get a bit agitated, they'll be getting a bit noisy and where's this business? You know, United are always going to be at risk of falling behind because the competition is, is so high in the Premier League and I think it's a, a good start for United and I think Ty said this in the past that, you know, maybe what, what happens next will define whether it's going to be a good window or not because Mount can be taken either way. If, if he's the only big signing United get, then you can say it's a, a bad, bad window. But, you know, if they, end, if they end up getting a good striker or get a keeper and Mount, then, then I think it would be a very successful one. But I guess the ultimate thing now is to, to see what happens next. Yeah, definitely. It's certainly a platform for United to build on. And as you've said there, obviously the striker search, maybe the search for a goalkeeper is going to determine how successful this window is. But Ty Rich mentioned there about the rivals, you know, have been doing a fair amount of business. Arsenal looking to get deals wrapped up for Declan Rice. Yuri and Timber already got Kai Havertz through the door. 
Liverpool obviously have added to Alexis McAllister over the weekend with Dominic Sabozlai from uh, RB Leipzig. I suppose when you compare what United have paid for Mason Mount, who is obviously a Champions League winner already, vastly experienced in the Premier League, United have probably got quite a good piece of business with Mason Mount, even though obviously there's a bit of an argument about the price they've paid for what, how long was left on his contract. Yeah, I think it's probably a deal that suits everyone. Yeah, I think it's um, it's probably a deal that suits that suits everyone. I think um, United have probably paid a little bit more than they expected to, but the the, the problem is, you know, he's, he's an England international. He's twenty four. He's a homegrown quota. It's it's hard to get those players on a good deal. And I know people at United were pointing to the way um, Chelsea did a quick deal with with City for Kovacic, but. They are, you know, although the contract situations were similar, there's a five-year age difference, Mount's homegrown. There is, there is a difference there. So I, you know, I do think it's it's a it's a, it's a good value signing. I think I think he's a very Eric Ten Hag player. Um, I wrote a piece a few weeks ago about his time in in the Eredivisie when he was with Vitesse Arnhem in 2017-18, and he, I, Ten Hag was Ajax manager then and was really impressed to the point that he tried to sign him on loan for Ajax the following season and. He, I think he ticks a lot of boxes for Ten Hag in terms of pressing and that work rate. And we know he's he's a little bit of a Marmite player. I think when he's with England, he, he gets a lot of criticism. I think Chelsea fans have have always liked him and will be very disappointed to see him go. When he's with England, it feels like there's a bit of div- bit of a divide there. But you only have to listen to what his managers say to realise how valuable he is to managers in a team. And he can sometimes be that player that just makes a team tick. And I think he's a you know, he's, he's an ideal signing, I think. There will, I think there will be people who wonder why they've gone for a midfielder when they need a striker and a goalkeeper more. But you could argue that, and I wrote a piece in the history, you could argue that what happened to Liverpool last season is, is kind of put everyone on their toes in a way in, in, in midfield. Liverpool left it too long to, to rebuild their midfield. They, they let that midfield grow all together and paid the ultimate price, really, with, with what happened last season this year. Arsenal are trying to sign two midfielders. Looks like they can play Havertz in midfield. Trying to sign Rice as well. City have signed Kovacic, who's, who's just a replacement, really. But still, they're, they're getting ahead of the game there. Newcastle with Tonali. And now um, Liverpool with, with their two. And, and now United with Mount. And I think it's a it's a sensible signing, given the... And this is something I mentioned countless times, really, the age profile of that midfield. I mean, you look at the, the midfielder started the FA Cup final, if you include Fernandes in that. You've got Freddie was 30, Casemiro 31, Eriksen 31, Fernandez is 29 in September. They they clearly needed a younger midfielder. And we saw the risk with Liverpool of of, of not not investing and not refreshing the team when it's kind of of that age profile. And at the end of the season before last, I guess now, Liverpool wouldn't have looked at it and thought, we've got a problem at midfield. They they, they were in with the chance of the quadruple with a week of the season to go. But these things can creep up on you quickly and, and they left it too long to to kind of start rebuilding their midfield. And I think United have, have done it at the right time um, and, and kind of been, you know, aware and, and on the ball that this could be an issue coming down the track. And, and yes, there needs to be more in the window, but I think it's a good sign in. It strengthens that midfield. I think Casemiro and Mount Fernandes is a really good midfield going into next season. Eriksen, an, an excellent backup for, for Mount and Fernandes. And I think they've, they deserve credit for getting ahead of the curve and pouncing when they can get a player who fits the system perfectly at a point when he's available. Yeah, most definitely. And Rich, you've done in your morning piece today about Mason Mount, you know, the flexibility in certain types of games where he can, you know, sit deep, he can play high. United are getting a very versatile player here, which we know Eric Ten Hag's a fan of in his midfielders. And it does kind of have a very similar feeling to Christian Eriksen's arrival last year when the sense that Eriksen, always renowned as a number 10, a creative midfielder, but produced his best football for United in the number eight position. I think it's quite possible that we could see the same from Mason Mount as well, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, United's problem last season was that they did fundamentally have a really good midfield free, but they just couldn't afford to play it every single week. And now you've got a player who, who fits in there. And as Ty said, you know, he can play the more advanced role. He can play alongside Casemiro if he needs to. You could even put him out, out wide if you really had to as well, depending on the circumstance. And we saw this last season that in the bigger games, United often, you know, they played without the ball, which was fine because Ten Hag wants possession, but he doesn't want the ball just for the sake of it. You know, you've got to be doing something meaningful with it. And you think of Barcelona at home, you think of City at home. United didn't dominate possession. Bruno Fernandes wasn't really playing as a number 10. 
But in those games next season, you could have Casemiro and Fernandez at the base of midfield, trying to have, offer a bit of solidity, giving you the out ball because they can both break the lines really well. And then you've got Mount further further up the pitch, just running around for for a bit, you know, if you have to. He can he can engage the press, he can lead the team further up the pitch, and he can help to to put the pressure on your opposition as well. So I do think he's a, a player who has a, a few sort of tricks up his sleeve. He isn't just going to come in and play in the Ericsson role. I think primarily he will do, but it's the fact that he can play more advanced if he needs to. He can play out wide as well. And it just means that United have a lot more flexibility and a lot more options. And of course, you can say about it in a pessimistic way that if one of those players, either Fernandes or Ericsson's missing, you've got a much more suitable replacement there than, than either Fred or Scott McTominay. But there's also going to be instances, particularly at the start of the season, when you've got all three of them fit. And it means that if anything, I think Ericsson will be even better next season because you will be using him in that supplementary role he should have been signed for in the first place. You think of Juan Mata, you think of Matic in recent years. Yes, they haven't been able to play all the time. I think Ericsson will be able to play a lot more than both of them. But there were games where they would come in and they would run the show. And Ericsson can do that. There'll be certain matches where he can keep him fully fit now, where he can have one game a week off if he had to. And there'll be other matches where you start... Casemiro amount in midfield of Fernandez further up and then you bring Ericsson on to, to change the game because what was so good about Ericsson in the first half of last season was he was making he was winning games he was having those match winning moments you think of Garnacho's goal at Fulham yes it's a good finish by Garnacho, but it's Ericsson's exquisite pass that, that sets him through there and makes that happen there were countless times was it the was it Rashford's header maybe against West Ham or someone Ericsson played the most ridiculous sort of first time half volley cross it was just so perfectly weighted and if you can keep Ericsson fit so he's not having to do all the dirty work all the time and he can come on just for half an hour and do that then he's going to be an even bigger asset to the United side as well so I agree with Ty you know Mount maybe wasn't the player United should have targeted first but by no means is this a signing that you try and degrade already and write off as a bad one because he's going to add so much to that United squad not just the starting lineup. No, definitely. Fully agree with every aspect of that. But moving away from Mason Mount now and looking at what else United need to do, obviously the elephant in the room is this striker search. It is still ongoing. Obviously a big chunk of United's budget without any further sales has been obviously eaten into so far for Mason Mount. Ty, I think we're in a situation now if United are going to get this elite level striker that they're so desperate for, they've got to start ramping up the uh, the levels of sales, haven't they? They have, yeah. I, I just don't... I, <laughs> It's hard to see where they get it from, to be honest. I mean, if if we're talking elite-level strikers this year, we're probably talking Kane or, or Osserman, I think. I'm not sure there's anyone else that you'd hang your hat on to, to come in and, and hit the ground running and score 25 Premier League goals for United next season. I think those are the only two. And it seems pretty clear now that, barring some kind of miracle, neither are going to leave. Um, the, the, the chatter around Osserman has totally died down. Um, I think you've done the story today that he said in Italian media, I think it was, that he's he's happy in Napoli. And I know he's going to say that, but you do get the impression that he, he's not going to be allowed to leave this summer and it is going to be an, an assault on the Champions League next year, I guess. Kane, United seem insistent that they believe Daniel Levy's stance that he's going nowhere. They can't afford him at the moment anyway, having signed Mount. From, from what we hear around their transfer budget, it leaves him with about £60 million left. So... They can't afford an elite striker until they make some sales now, um, and if you know, if there's a risk there that either Bayern sign Kane or that Tottenham, that the Levy is is true to his word and just doesn't sell doesn't sell Kane at all or doesn't sell into a Premier League club. And, and beyond that, it's uh, you know I've said a couple of times on this podcast. I just think the striker market's really hard this year. You you know you look at what Atalanta want for Hosland, talk of a hundred million euros. I mean that's insanity that for a striker you got nine goals in Serie A in 33 games last year. He, he might be a talented player, but he's had three clubs in 18 months and, and he's still very raw. Um, you know, the, the, rightly so, United will go nowhere near that. Then you're on to players like Randall Colo Moani, who had some flashes in the World Cup, has done pretty well at Eintracht Frankfurt, but I don't think scoring goals in the Bundesliga is, is that hard. Vegos was a one-in-two striker in the Bundesliga. Gonzalo Ramos has done pretty well with Benfica. Again, he's, he's had one season really as, as a striker playing in Europe for a team who dominates domestically. It's a huge step up to come and lead the line from United. And I know he scored a hat-trick in a World Cup, but 
Vitvegor scored two against Argentina in a World Cup and, and he scored two in 31 for United. So I just think there's so much risk attached with that transfer transfer window for, for strikers and the prices being quoted are crazy. I actually think there's an argument that United do what they've been criticised for. Um, I was looking at it earlier, actually. They've signed, I think they've signed six strikers in the last seven seasons and five of them have been over 30. And the, the one that was under 30 that they paid a load of money for was a, a failure as well in Lukaku. So they've taken a very short-term approach to signing strikers. None of them have really been a success, judged by the fact that Martial is still there and still wearing number nine. But I think it's an argument that you do a similar thing again and just muddle through with Martial, maybe look to sign another short-term option. We, we can come on to options, maybe. And then I just think the market's a lot easier in 2024. If Kane stays at Tottenham, he's available on free. If Osterman stays at Napoli, I'd be astonished if he stays there beyond the end of next season. Um, Evan Ferguson, Julio and Cisco might kick on at Brighton and, and present themselves as realistic targets to come in and start for United next year. Um, someone else in Europe might suddenly have an electric season. Kolo Moani might have a, a great season again at Frankfurt, get into the France team and, and look a more realistic option. I just think the odds are, the odds are probably more in United's favour in 2024 than they are now. And if you're risking spending 60, 70 million on a Kolo Moani or a Ramos this year, it doesn't work. You, you've got big, big problems. And I know a short-term solution is far from ideal, but there's an argument here. You've got to play the long game and just look at the market being stacked much more in your favour next year than it is than it is this year, and especially with United's lack of lack of funds this year, maybe that's the the route to take. As as unpalatable as it would probably be for for a lot of fans, and it clearly wouldn't be great for Ten Hag. But I just think if they push for a striker this year, there's a pretty good chance they're going to end up someone signing someone who is going to be a risk. It may work, it may not. They may sign a Kolo Moani who turns out to be electric and gets 25, 30 goals for the season. But there's every chance that they sign someone who gets you 15 goals a season and it doesn't really move the needle in terms of that attack. Yeah, definitely. It's the one sign that they've got to get bang on the money, isn't it? They can't afford to get it wrong for the amount of money they're likely to have to invest. But we're going to come back to the striker situation shortly. But just lastly, to wrap up this opening section, Rich, obviously United also, you would think, are going to be on the lookout for a goalkeeper. Obviously, there's still an outside chance David De Gea might stay. That contract situation still yet to be fully resolved. Andre Onana, Inter Milan, confirmed his uh, United's interest in him on Friday night. And then reports over the weekend of final goalkeeper Justin Billow being linked with United as well. Onana, he fits the profile for what United want in a goalkeeper. Obviously, Ten Hag knows him very well from his time at Ajax. But again, it's another player that's likely to command quite a big transfer fee. So could United look elsewhere for somebody equally as good, do you think? Yeah, it's interesting because, like Ty mentioned as well earlier in the podcast, you know, that a deal for Onana could almost sort of wipe out what you've got left to spend before player sales this summer. So there will be a huge element of, of risk there. But I, I do think that Onana looks like a player who who would be worth, worthy of that. You know, I mean, I know it's quite lazy to, to make the, the link, but you look at Liverpool Man City's dominance that really did kick on another sort of level when they both had goalkeepers perfectly in the mould of their manager and just who embodied everything that the team was trying to do. And, you know, United being erratic and playing in moments, that that is David De Gea. You know, he is an erratic goalkeeper who has moments of brilliance and moments of of disaster. And that was United last season. You know, he, he really does sort of symbolise where they were up to. And I think that if they make the next step, then then they're going to have to do it with, with a goalkeeper, really, in that Ten Hag mould. Onana, of course, has the experience from his from his time at Ajax. He is still a player who who's a bit erratic. He would be entertaining. There's maybe some shades of Fabian Barthez about the way he rushes off his line, some of his positioning, the fact that he's so eager to get on the ball and, and to race out of his box as well and, and to play almost as a, an extra centre-back or a sweeper at times. So there's going to be maybe a few mo- moments where, where you could expect him to get caught out if he did join this this summer. But I think whatever United happen, whatever happens, sorry, they need a new goalkeeper. I think we all agree on that on this podcast. And they need to stick with him. Just as Ferguson did, to an extent at least, when De Gea joined. You know, De Gea was flapping at crosses, he was fumbling. I know there was that period when he came out of the, the team for Andrew Lindegaard. But primarily, early on, Ferguson just made the conscious effort of, we've got to stick by this young guy. We've got to just give him a chance to adapt. And, you know, it, it did pay off in the long term. 
For me, I think either of those two keepers you mentioned would be better suited to, to United's style of play. Of course, there's got to be so many, you know, different elements. There might be cheaper options. There might be people who are a bit more attainable. But I think United certainly have to aim for the, the top end with a goalkeeper, just as they have to with a striker. And it should be a lot easier to sign an elite goalkeeper than it will be to sign an elite striker this summer. And, you know, ideally, you'd have both. But, you know, worst case scenario, if you've got Onana and did maybe have to go for a, a backup striker for one year, I don't think that would be disastrous. It wouldn't be ideal, but there'd definitely be a way to, to make it work. And I just think that... Until United have that goalkeeper who's comfortable with the ball at their feet, who can really help them with transitioning play, whose distribution is just a whole lot better, who even maybe puts more confidence in the back line and they have the same, they're, they're happy to play the ball back to him and they just feel more confident in general. Until they do that, they're just going to be going around in circles under Ten Hag. So I, I, I think that, yeah, they've got to push ahead with it. And while the striker situation looks so uncertain, they should just go all out for Onana, I think, right now. And until that's either ruled out or becomes unviable, then you then you look elsewhere. But for me, I think he he just looks like the perfect fit, really, for for United's needs this summer. Yeah, I'd fully agree with that. I mean, Pep Guardiola praised him heavily, didn't he? Both before and after the Champions League final. So you know, if Pep Guardiola, you know, approves of his qualities, he's clearly got something about him. So. Time will tell on that score, I'm sure, with the goalkeeper search. But in part two of this Manchester is Red podcast, we're going to dive a little deeper into the striker situation and the Reds' search to strengthen their attack. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. As I said a couple of moments ago, we are now going to dive a little deeper into the striker search, as we said in part one. United have got a lot to to weigh up before they decide which striker they would like to be able to get and who they can obviously afford to bring in. Um, Rich, obviously Harry Kane has been earmarked for a while now as Eric Ten Hag's top target. It's looking increasingly unlikely as you know the weeks pass by. Daniel Levy, as, as Ty said, you know very reluctant to let him go. So how do United navigate this issue? I mean, do, do they go, like you said, do they go all out for that goalkeeper and then maybe just go for a lesser option this year and then go, you know, hell to leather next year? But of course, if someone like Rasmus Hoyland, for example, they don't bring him in this season and he has an excellent season at Atalanta next year, that's only going to drive the price up. So what do you think United should do with this? Do they go full out attack for this striker if they can afford one? Or do they just go for a lesser option for the time being and hope that, say, Marcus Rashford, for example, can deliver 30 goals again? That is the dilemma, isn't it? It's that that indecision. You can always say that those four players can have a bit more. And I do think there is a real belief and a real genuine belief to have that, yes, United need the striker. We all know that. But I mean, you look at the centre-backs, for example, you look at... Harry Maguire historically, his he should score a lot more goals than he, than he has done. You know, if you if you get two, three more goals from your centre backs across the season, that helps. The wingers, United's wingers should all you know they should have two or three wingers there. If you include Rashford as well, you look at someone like Anthony, maybe Ahmad if he comes into it, Garnacho, they should all be getting at least double figures next season, and that will significantly help the way that that they play. I do feel that sometimes there can be a bit too much of an overfocus on. We need that main man who's going to score, you know, thirty goals a season, twenty goals a season, whatever. Yes, that is primarily what what would help United sort of boost their, their goal output. But the fact of the matter is that their wingers just weren't good enough last season. Rashford, you know, we've got to treat him as an anomaly, someone who primarily you know, was scoring goals. He was still scoring off the left, but he was sort of just being the main man as well up front, and there was no one else being being the striker. But I just look at Anthony, I look at Garnacho, like I said, Ahmad, and I just think there's there's so much more to, to be had from them. 
And, you know, I, I think it will be a bit of a team effort for, for United to actually to address the amount of goals they're scoring. Even if you had a, a strike attack team, you can you can say that, you know, they, they're still going to need the extra goals from somewhere. So I don't think it's as straightforward as just saying United sign a striker, all their problems are solved. Obviously, it would help. But I do think that, that Ty was right, was right previously as well, that you, it's such a big decision to sign a striker that you can't just put all this money on someone who's not quite right you know it there's got to come a point where you have to say well right look no one we actually properly want as an least option is available or affordable this summer so let's look at a, a, a second tier sort of striker let's let's look at someone else who can supplement the attack who we can ease the expectations on somewhat and and get them lined up and, and then go big next season so for me i think the only concern is that whose name pops out I mean we've I think all three of us have been speaking today to one another sort of on, on chat and work and we've been floating names about I mean it was only last week on the podcast myself and Ty were sort of jokingly saying sort of Firmino was, was an option and you know I mean it's just so difficult to actually sort of put your neck on the line and say this person would be good because everyone's got so much mitigation to them and I mean I don't know what what about you both I mean do either of you should we all say a name we think we, we that we might be worth a go I mean, it is pulling names out of a hat, isn't it, really, at this stage? Yeah, it is. It is. There's, there's, I, don't, I just don't think there's anyone that... And, and at the end of the day, any sensible club would wait rather than risk signing the wrong player. Look at Liverpool with Virgil van Dijk. That was the centre-half that Klopp wanted, that he knew that could transform his team. And rather than sign someone else, he waited. And OK, he only waited a few months because he got him in the January. But that, that's complete vindication for, for the, the idea of waiting. And that is what sensible, well-run clubs do. It's better to get the right player than waste £60 million on the wrong player. And I, I just feel that any striker that comes now this summer, if it's not Kane or Osserman, which I think we can say is pretty likely, there's going to be question marks there. And Ted Hark wants someone who can come in who's a guarantee of goals. And I don't think that player is out there. So I just think there's a strong argument that you wait and sign... Someone. I mean, I mentioned to you on chat, Rich, that maybe they should have been in for Nicholas Jackson, who, who's gone to Chelsea for about thirty million pound. He's he's maybe not the answer long term, but he's probably it probably compete and maybe start ahead of Martial this year. You sign Kane or Osman next year, and, and you've already got yourselves a perfect backup. You can look at letting Martial go. Then, you know that's probably good succession planning. Obviously, he's gone to Chelsea now. You could look at someone else in that bracket. No, I'm not entirely sure who, but. That's probably a better way to do it than than risk wasting money on on somebody who turns out to be the wrong player. I think. Yeah, and of course, I think as well that the fact they signed Veghorst, there's then sort of like you open the you open yourself up to being able to sign anyone really. Like who's ruled out? You've signed in the last sort of three years. You've signed Igalo, you signed Veghorst, you signed Cavani. You know, like you said, there's there's been no consistency. I know you're not to say we've moved on from that. That's not us anymore, but. You did literally sign Veghorst, you know, in, in recent memory. So I'm not sure how much I'll buy that. And it it just does feel like anyone's anyone can sort of be justified if they really wanted to, you know. And like I said, if it if it is short term, I mean, what, we saw Charlie McNeil make his debut last season. He then went to League Two and looked didn't look ready enough to be in the United first team, did yeah. he? Hugo's not really kicked on. There's no sort of internal solutions. So they have to at least get a body in, don't they? That that's what it, it feels like. But I mean. Does it even get to the point where you say just whack Scott McTominay up front? He's scoring goals for Scotland. He can do something. I mean, well, you could have an option. I don't. I don't exactly know what the situation of buying is, but someone like Eric Maxim Chupamoting, and I know he was a bit of a laughing laughing stock at Stoke, but he's done pretty well for PSG and Bayern Munich. In fact, he's done really well for Bayern, and they looked lost without him last year for twelve months. Something like that. I don't think would necessarily be disastrous and as I said just keep coming back to the idea that in terms of an elite striker you, you, you've got to get the right player rather than the wrong player yeah, even again, if that means waiting for 12 months it was literally a year ago that Arnautovic was being considered I know that those obvious reasons that didn't happen but maybe there is going to be another wild card someone like that someone who's a bit of a maverick who, who can come in for for one year and like we said, Arnautovic outscored Hodgeland. So if you're looking at a proven Serie A striker, then there is one there at Bologna that United fans didn't want last summer. And, you know, it was it's soon petered out. But that is just what's so difficult. And that's what's so difficult as well for United's plan. You have got to have an element of sympathy because until they categorically rule out they're not going to sign an elite striker, they can't really go and take the punt on someone else because it'll just be seen as where's the long-term planning. But if you know United sort of say, well, 
well, maybe don't say directly, but you know, it's it's sort of relayed that they're going to delay it for another year. Then it's just it's really difficult. And United being United can't sort of rule themselves out completely because what happens if if there is a change of heart and suddenly one of these top targets might be might be on the move? It's it's really complex. I suppose from United's point of view as well, they will argue it is still the start of the window, isn't it? We still got what, the best part of two months left for for anything to happen and. And maybe they'd still want to rush those decisions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you think back a few years ago, it was only July the 1st that the window did originally open. So, you know, we are, you know, back then we'd only been three days into the window. Obviously, things have changed then. But personally, I think United may have potentially missed the boat not going for Marcus Thuram, who's just been snapped up by Inter Milan. Left Munch and Glad back on a free. I think he scored something like 16 or 17 goals last season. Uh, gone to Inter Milan he would have for me been potentially you know if they got a Kane or an Osman would have been a good backup option but looking at how that looks now it might have been a really good bet to be a starting striker I think he's about 25 26 so a decent age room for growth so potentially missed out on one there that would have been a free transfer but you know speaking of wild cards Rich you've raised a name with me this morning um, one of whom you know that I'm a big fan of I know you you rate him quite highly as well and United fans listening to this may be wondering why you're recommending a player that's spent the last few years playing in the Championship. But Victor Jokeres of Coventry City has enjoyed two outstanding campaigns for the Sky Blues. I think he ended up last season with 21 league goals and 11 assists, something like that. I think he had the most goal contributions in the division. Obviously now looks set to go to Sporting Lisbon, I think for around £18 million, something like that. You came to me this morning, you, you did say that you thought he would have at least been worthy of United having a look at for a potential solution to their goal-scoring issues. I think so, yeah, for £18 million, why not sign a striker who's, you know, like I said, I think since he joined Coventry, only two players have been involved in more goals in the Championship than him. One of them was Mitrovic when he had that record-breaking season at, uh, at Fulham, smashed all the records, and Joel Pirot at, at Swansea, but I think Jokeres has been involved directly, 54 goals in two and a bit seasons which is phenomenal really and playing for Sweden he's he's got all the sort of raw attributes um, I, I mean he didn't work out at Brighton they'd probably regard him as, as a bit of a flop but he sort of coincided with the time where they were trying to transition to establishing themselves in the Premier League and they maybe didn't quite have the, the chance to take a, a risk on him but you know the fact that Brighton did buy him and looked at him and had him for, for three years does sort of bode well that he was on their recruitment policy anyway I think he is he's he's worth a go because I know some fans will be saying, Well, why do you quite literally want a second tier striker? But you then can't say, Oh, I'm really excited to see what Ahmad can do in the first team because Jokerez did better than Ahmad in the championship. And, you know, if you're gonna say that one of them is exciting and has a future at United, then I think you could say that they could both at least offer something. I'm certainly not saying that Jokerez comes in and gets twenty goals a season for United. Like I said, it sounds like he's gonna to go to, to sporting anyway, but players like that, players that are particularly Jokeres because he's proven in England, you know, playing in the Championship and being the main focal point of that Coventry team. The only reason Coventry were really in the playoffs, yes, Mark Robbins has done really, really well there, but their entire sort of style of play was built around get the ball to Jokeres, he'll do something magical. Yes, he is a bit of sort of a lightweight Harland-y sort of type of player who just drags defenders about, really physical, can pin them back, good turn of pace... His finishing's not brilliant, but the goals speak for themselves. You know, he's very raw. And I think players like that will, will have to be considered because, you know, I'd be more confident having Jokeres up front in the Premier League than, than Veghorst, and I don't want to just be all out to get him. You look at other players, I mean, on the, on this list that I can see, I mean, maybe Ty will go on to Moussa Dembele or Mitrovic next. But, you know, there are players who are at least got some pedigree and have at least scored goals in their career and... I just don't think United are in too much of a position now where you can you can laugh off some names because at least they're consi- at least lots of these other players, not Musa Dembele, but you look at sort of Mitrovic, you look look at Jokeres, at least they've scored goals in England and at least they largely stay fully fit for a season. Okay, Mitrovic might not stay fully available; he might get a few red cards and a few <laughs> few bans for going way over the top. But you know, these are players who at least offer something. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Ty, I think an example of a player coming up from the Championship and making this step in the Premier League in recent years has been Ollie Watkins, for example, at Aston Villa. He's done really, really well. Again, one of those kind of mid-tier strikers, but, you know, has got the quality to score goals at this level. But again, English in, England international, 
Aston Villa are going to be ready to command a big fee for him. So again, it wouldn't exactly be what you'd class as cheap, would it, for somebody like Ollie Watkins? No, it wouldn't. I mean, if they could get someone like Watkins for 25, 30 million, I think that would be that would be a great deal. I think he'd be a, a very reasonable striker for 12 months. Um, like you say, when they, when they look at signing someone a level above in a year's time. But realistically, I think Villa would want double that for a player like Watkins, who's you know on the fringes of the England team now, who had such a good second half of last season. I think you'd be looking 50, 60 million minimum. And that is the problem with signing players from the Premier League, especially English players, unless there's a release clause and they're nearing the end of the contract or they're unwanted, it's very difficult to do. And there's there's very few unwanted Premier League players that United are going to be looking at. So, you know, they are short of options. It's the same with Mitrovic. I, I'm not sure how cheap he'd be to get. I think it'd be a good a good option, a good plan B. I'm not sure whether it's whether it's doable. Um, you know, if, if we're saying that they should look to sign Kane or Osserman or, and as yet, maybe a known striker in 12 months, then um, you know, I'm not sure they'd want to spend more than 25 or, or 30 million. Rich mentioned Moussa Dembele then. It's someone that Rich has done a few stories on the United, been tracking for a while, but he's had a pretty difficult couple of years. Things have gone sour at Lyon. Atletico Madrid loan spell was, was pretty poor, although he's not the first striker to um, fall into a black hole under, under Diego Simeone. Um, but he had a, a pretty poor season last year and I think is available on free now with it doesn't seem like anyone's really kicking the door down for him. But it's a free transfer, maybe he's an option. My question would be, is is he any better than Martial? Um I mean does he have to be? I guess if you've got someone of Martial's level that can play again, then then maybe that would do you. I mean there were times last year when Martial actually looked pretty good in, in pre season and first half of last season I, I thought he looked a really neat and tidy player in, in Ten Hag's system. The problem was he couldn't stay fit and by the end of last season it, it looked like his confidence had been had been shot. Um and then yeah, beyond the end of that, it's you know, it's difficult to know where you go. I mean, how Yao Felix maybe would he be available on loan again? Very expensive loan, but probably someone who suits Ten Hag and United better than he suited Chelsea. Um Murata, I'm not sure what his situation is now, but he seems to always be on the market. Um, probably wouldn't be a, a disastrous loan move. Um, but yeah, it's just, it does feel like a really difficult market for strikers. And I, I wonder if part of the problem is that for a few for a few years, it feels like we've kind of gone cold on, on number nines and no one really played with a number nine at the highest level. Everyone kind of drifted away to these false nine systems. And then suddenly the strikers, the strikers back in vogue, but no one's really producing them. And as a result, there's, there's so few on the market. It feels like, Ten years ago, if you'd have wanted to sign a striker, there'd have been loads of options. Now we're looking at United signing a striker. And beyond those who are clearly unavailable, like Haaland and Mbappe, we're basically saying there's there's two that you'd say are a guarantee of being good enough for United, and that's Kane and Osserman. Um, you know, beyond those, and then Haaland and Mbappe, maybe Lewandowski. I'm struggling to think of anyone off the top of my head who you'd say is a guarantee at United and, and that's incredible, really, when you look at, you're saying there's four strikers in Europe who were maybe a guarantee of goals coming to a club like Man United. But you have to look at last year and Liverpool signing Nunes hasn't really worked. Chelsea signing Werner a few years ago didn't work. Um, Lukaku coming back to Chelsea last year didn't work. There's there's just not many elite level strikers available. Um, and that's part of the problem when you're trying to sign one, which is maybe why it's worth... Um, it's worth waiting for a Kane or an Osserman next year. Or they, they take a risk on trying to sign someone like Evan Ferguson or NCSO now. Um, I, I'm not sure that's that's the route to go down. I'm not sure how cheap they'd be. But there's always the possibility that, that Ferguson maybe scores 20 in the Premier League next year and looks as good an option or as an option not far off someone like Harry Kane, maybe. But it does feel like there is just a a shortage of strikers that you'd think are a, are a guarantee at the highest level at the moment. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of Premier League teams have probably found that out over the last few years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Harry Kane's probably the greatest guarantee of the goals, getting the goals that United wants. But obviously that comes with a, a huge, huge price tag. But Rich, just lastly on the on the striker situation, Rasmus Hojland has, you know, kind of been earmarked as the likely to be the most attainable option. But as Ty said earlier on, his valuation is seemingly soaring at the minute. Do you think United would contemplate perhaps the the idea of a of a swap deal with Atalanta to maybe send Ahmad back if he doesn't impress during pre-season in the way that United fans hope he does? 
think you've got to certainly consider options like that, particularly you know if you if you do want to sign someone who is at the upper end, you've got to look at ways to try and sweeten that deal. I still think that the you know I mean Atalanta, I know they've got a, a good track record of producing players um, that you know I mean Adam Lookman at Atalanta scored more goals than Hodgson last season as well. So I'm still I'm still not going to act like I know loads about him. I've, I've been watching clips I've been reading up I've you know I've most notably seen his sort of performances for Denmark which do generally look very impressive you know his record for them is it's fantastic in competitive matches but the the price being quoted you know upwards they're getting close to sort of 80 100 million pound mark is ridiculous for for what he is right now I think and there's got to be a huge element of a gamble on that United if they're going to try to do a deal I've got to try look much lower and you know as we said their the budget remaining budget is probably around the 60 million pound mark at the moment so I think that a way of lowering that that initial outlay would be to potentially offer a sweetener to Atalanta certainly offering the Mamad on loan for another campaign would would certainly be something that could could work for all parties involved but even then the price attached for Hodgland would would be a, a certain risk and I suppose maybe even this is something from being part of the video game generation but I always feel like swap deals sound so easy to propose but there's so much involved in one you've got to have a player who's happy to go out and be part of it happy to join the club the club to suit what his his needs for him to get the guaranteed playing time and for it to all work for all parties I think is often quite fanciful and that's why you don't really see them still in, in modern football that often it's because they sound really good on paper, but in practicality and principle, they don't always work that way. So it's the same as United's issues of, of selling players. You know, if I was on FIFA or Football Manager, I'd put Harry Maguire for, for, up for sale and watch the offers fly in. And yeah, there he goes, sold, easy. Who got to spend my money on next? But it just doesn't work that way. And, you know, the harsh reality is United still will struggle to buy the players they want and to sell the players that, that they want this summer. And I agree, they should look and consider all these options to try to try and try and do so. I think that you know the the Hodgland Ahmad sort of potential part player swap deal sounds good in principle, but whether it is actually practical is is a different matter. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what they can do. But obviously the clock is ticking. But obviously they've got just under two months or so to go until the window shuts. So hopefully they can sort something out. But that does uh, bring an end to part two of this Manchester is Red podcast. In part three, we'll have a quick uh, preview of the upcoming pre-season fixtures that United have got on their tour of the US as well. Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. As I said a couple of moments ago, we're now going to look at pre-season and what lies ahead for United in the coming weeks. Ty, obviously, you're off to the States with uh, Samuel in a couple of weeks' time for the, the friendlies that United have got out there. Obviously, before that, they've got the games with Leeds and Leon. What what are you looking forward to most about jetting out to the States and covering United on their pre-season tour? Um, the, the travel and going to the States, mostly. Um <laughs> It's yeah. I mean, it's always an, an interesting time. It's it, you know, it's, it's hard to, to to take too much. I mean, I think last year we all looked at it and thought, Tenar's got something about him here. It, it's always good to kind of be close to things on pre-season, especially on those tours. You pick up things that you you know you see. You, you get a lot more training access. You get a lot more one-on-one time, or even time in groups with with people at the club. And I think we all sensed last year that there was a real authority to Ten Hag in, in Thailand and Australia. The words we were hearing from from players and staff on and off the record were really positive about how he conducted himself, the quality of his sessions, his even just his manner in in speaking to people, and all the reviews were, were really positive. And you know, I think I think me and Samuel sensed that last year in Thailand and Australia, and it was proved right um, on the pitch. What you see is isn't always an accurate reflection. I mean, Jaden Sancho was good in pre season last year. Started the season okay, to be fair, but had another disappointing season. Zidane Iqbal looked really promising last year in, in pre-season. You know, if you'd have been said when you were watching him in, in, in those pre-season games on tour last year that it'd be sold for, what, £880,000 a year later, you'd you'd wonder what's gone on. But it does show sometimes that the the slower pace of those pre-season games can be easier for young players to, to impress in. And, and obviously, the, the physicality of the Premier League was just too much for, for Iqbal. I think he was on the bench. 20, something like 20 times last year without ever getting on. Um, so it's 
sometimes you see things that, that, that are maybe false dawns a little bit in terms of young players. But it is still an, an opportunity. There's players there that will get a chance this year. Alvaro Fernandez probably get a chance. Um, this, you know, I guess there's still a possibility that if United end up selling someone like Maguire that they use Luke Shaw as an emergency centre-back and, and Fernandez stays in the squad as an, an extra left-back option. Um, Ahmad is obviously the, the big one in terms of a young player to see how he fares and how he does and whether he can force his way into the squad on a, on a regular basis next season or, or whether he goes out on loan again or is even sold. It, it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me, to be honest, if Ten Hag looked at him in pre-season, if he doesn't come up to scratch, if United thought now's a good time to cash in and sell, given his, his value is high after what he's done at Sunderland. And we've seen that Ten Hag's pretty ruthless, I think, in decisions with, with youngsters. Obviously, sold Chong last year. Garner last year, I think, was a huge shock to everyone that he left. But United looked at him, didn't think he was quite cut out for it. And his value was high after what he'd done at Nottingham Forest. They've done the same with Iqbal this year, a sensible time to sell. So wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world if they suddenly decided to cash in on Ahmad towards the end of the window. <clears throat> but also there's every chance that he impresses on pre-season and, and he's part of that squad next year. Um, but yeah, just sort of picking up the you know, picking up the vibes, I think, from when you're on tour and, and getting that that access that's a little bit closer, a little bit more detailed and speaking to people. The vibes on new season, how Ten Hag's maybe changing things tactically in terms of training, going into a new year. The friendlies are, are often interesting, but like we say, the takeaways from them can be pretty hit and miss. Um, but I think that just a, kind of what you pick, what you sense and what you pick up from speaking to people is often quite illuminating on tour and it, it proved fairly accurate last year. Yeah, definitely. It's a very interesting time and obviously it gives you an insight to a different side of things. But Rich, obviously, Ty mentioned there that Alvaro Fernandez and Ahmad are probably the probably the two standout young players that are going to be looking to impress over the coming weeks. Um, one player, of course, won't be included in that bracket is Ethan Laird. He sealed a permanent exit from United on Friday, joining Birmingham City. Uh, just a quick word on him. I think that's probably a move that's best for all parties. I don't think he'd made a first-team appearance since 2019 for United. Spent the last couple of seasons out on loan. United have just got a little bit of cash in the bank for him and it's probably the best for all parties that he's moved on, don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, he's a player who really did have rotten luck with injury as well when he was breaking through. I mean, he came through at that time when he was way ahead of someone like Brandon Williams in the pecking order. And then I think it was the, maybe the Papa John's Trophy Games or something of maybe early 2018 or 2019 and Brandon Williams sort of overtook him in the pecking order. And it's a reminder of how ruthless the, the entire sort of youth setup is that, you know, you can be the, the new kid on the block, you can have all the hype about you, but then someone else comes along. And that's the, that is the ultimate challenge. You look at, as Ty said, Zidane Iqbal, he was the future of United's midfield a year ago. Now it's Kobe Maynou's turn. Then it'll be someone else further down the line. You know, you've just got to be so, so good to make it at United. And I think that's what's so refreshing about Ten Hag's philosophy. He's someone who's got a track record of nurturing youth talent. But he's not just handing out appearances because it looks good and it keeps his record of having an academy player in the matchday squad. If the player's not good enough and doesn't deserve to be playing, they're not going to be doing so. And I think that is just a ruthless sort of set, set of standards that need to be, be continued and that have been introduced under him. For Laird, you know, he, he always had moments. He'd go out on these low moves. He had the, a bit of a time at Swansea. Swansea was very promising. Then he joined Bournemouth halfway through the season. That was a gamble that just backfired completely. He lost all momentum, lost his place in the team, and he was set back by essentially another six months there because he had all this momentum and then he stagnated and it, it did no good. QPR, he started well again and then it started to peter out. And, you know, it's just a real shame that he's never had that consistency. When he's been playing well and he's he's had, he's been injury-free, he's looked really, really bright. But even then, he's maybe never sort of looked like he, he was going to be a, a proper sort of Man United player, somebody who's going to really test the, test the first team. And again, for him, it doesn't help that you've got Mark Gerardo, who's, who arrived from Barcelona and has steadily been doing work at youth level was of course on the bench against Nottingham Forest at the back end of last season, will now be next in line to be a potential right-back of the future for United. And, you know, I think that Laird had just stagnated a little bit. To, to get, what is it, 750000 and have this sell-on percentage as well in, in his contract, it does just make sense for everyone because it's the same with, with Iqbal. You know, you're taking money now and then if you almost regret the deal, 
we wait for Bali, you got a chance to buy them back. But if if you regret it and you've realised you've sold them for too little, you get a massive sell-on percentage anyway. So you then get what he probably was worth back, just sort of backdated almost. So I think it is just a clever policy United have. And it's refreshing that, like I said, they are making these decisions early. Because we've been saying for years that United just don't know what to do. They're so indecisive. At least with youth level, they're, they're setting this precedent now that... You know, if you're not quite up to standard, we'll sell you. And rather than lose you at the end of the contract for free, we'll just cash in on you now and we'll move on because there is someone else down the pipeline. Someone else is waiting for the chance. Someone else is going to be just as good as you. So, yeah, I think it's it made sense all around. It's always sad to see someone not quite fulfil the potential you thought they had at club. In Laird's case, that was mainly down to injury rather than to his own sort of misfortune or inability to perform. But, yeah, I think it's just a reminder of, of how cutthroat it is at United. Yeah, definitely. And like you've said, it works best for all parties. Ethan Lair's going to go away now, provided he stays fit. He's going to get regular game time in the Championship with Birmingham and should kick on. And you never know, United, you know, if, if he does really well, they could generate more money in the future. Ty, just lastly to wrap this podcast up, obviously, the main player that most people are likely to have their eyes on in pre-season at the moment, should things change, obviously, he's going to be Mason Mount. Um Obviously, it looks as though he's going to be the first signer through the door, barring any late snags or anything with his medical... I suppose him coming in and the emergence of Koimenu should get more game time pre-season. It's going to give Eric Ten Hag the opportunity to experiment with his midfield combinations throughout the summer, isn't it? Yeah, it is. There's, there's a good few options there. And I think part of the reason for letting Iqbal go is the emergence of, of Koimenu, who is two years younger and is ahead of him in terms of development, has played in the Premier League and looks at a better talent. So, yeah, the... There are options there. It certainly allows them to, to sell a midfielder as well. We know Fred has, has got interest from Fulham and is probably the most likely to go. I know they don't want to sign McTominay, but you wonder if further down the track they might have to consider that given he's one of their, their sellable assets. But yeah, there is there is options there and it will be interesting to see how that midfield lines up. It it does feel like it's moulding more into a four kind of a four three three and the midfield that United should have been playing for, for years really under Solskjaer it was it was the McFred mid, mid, midfield so often and, and they are moving away from that and the, the the problem with McTominay and Fred was that you know they were they were okay players but they needed to play next to each other and you needed two two holding midfielders really and a club of of United stature chasing what United are they they shouldn't I don't think they need to be playing two holding midfielders it should always have been one holder and, and two number eights and I think we're going to see more of that now with Casemiro doing the holding and and Mountain Fernandez in advance of him. I think that's likely to be that starting midfield next season, and it will be interesting to see how it how it develops through pre season really, and and how uh, what sort of impact Mount may, may, makes and, and what sort of role he plays because we know he is he is versatile as well. I think that's probably his best position that that number eight, but we've seen him play off the left and, and further forward as well. So there are um, there are options there for for Ten Hag with Mason Mount. Yeah, they certainly are. It's going to be interesting to see how it all uh, all plays out over the coming weeks ahead of the big kickoff. Six weeks tonight. It is you know fast creeping up on us. Only six weeks to go till the Premier League season starts for United against Wolves. Well, that marks the end of this episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. A big thank you to Rich and Ty for joining me this Monday lunchtime. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and would like to watch it as well, we are on YouTube, of course. Now, just search Manchester is Red, and you can subscribe. Excuse me, you can subscribe to the channel there. Furthermore, we're also on TikTok now as well, so make sure you head over to at Man United MEN and drop us a follow. As ever, we'll be back again later in the week to discuss the latest United news and hopefully react to United's first incoming of the summer with Mason Mountain on the cusp of completing his move to Old Trafford. So have a good week and we'll catch you again very, very soon. Mm-hmm.